tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's October 5th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got two big briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, America's media says that we are losing our democracy all because of that Republican infighting on Capitol Hill over the past couple of days. But is that true? Are we losing our Democratic Republic because of some drama in the House of Representatives? Well, we will look to American history this morning for some answers and some perspective. Second, breaking news that the FBI is targeting supporters of Donald Trump, but not just Trump, anyone with certain political or social beliefs. We'll talk about this development and what we know. Later, some good news this morning coming to us from California. It's how you can change your community, and together, we can change America. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Well, if you read the news yesterday, you, you might be taking some Xanax and drinking some booze today. That's because the American Republic is collapsing or close to it. That is according to media outlets, including the folks at the Washington Post, who led yesterday with this next headline, quote, the vote to oust McCarthy is a warning sign for democracy, scholars say, end quote. Of course, the folks at the Washington Post are referring to the ouster of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, a Republican. Now, as we spoke of yesterday, he was removed in an effort that was organized by a representative named Matt Gates, a Republican from Florida. And that drama has prompted a whole bunch of media outlets to just blitz y'all that, well, you may have seen it. Bloomberg News, for example, put it this way, quote, McCarthy ouster leaves Republicans in disarray as Biden pivots, end quote. Meanwhile, the New York Times said that McCarthy's extraordinary downfall reflects an ungovernable GOP. Finally, the Huffington Post said that actually this is all about Trump. Quote, how Kevin McCarthy's embrace of Trump sealed his fate. End quote. So as America's media ran yesterday with all of those angles of disarray and collapse, there was one outlet that spoke of something else. I mentioned it yesterday. This fight between McCarthy and Gates is really about their personal hatred for each other. Indeed, the New York Post published a piece that went into some pretty gory details of why these two men absolutely hate each other. You can read more about it in the transcripts if you'd like. But I flagged this latest media fight about disarray and collapse for one reason. And let's uh, get back to that ominous warning that we got from the Washington Post. Quote, the vote to oust McCarthy is a warning sign for democracy, scholars say, end quote. And again, I flagged this for us this morning because that newspaper led off their frightening analysis with a quote from a scholar, a guy named Daniel Ziblatt. He is a professor of government at Harvard University. And he said that, quote, if you want to know what it looks like when democracy is in trouble, this is what it looks like, end quote. 
which of course would be alarming if true that the Republican fight for the leadership in the House really means that our Democratic Republic is in trouble. Okay, well, is it in trouble? To answer that question, let's go back in time, shall we? Let's look at America's history, comparing where we have been to where we are right now with this Republican infighting. Because by doing that, by comparing and contrasting, we can better decide if, in fact, our republic is descending into darkness or if this is just kind of par for the political course. So let's start all the way back in the 1700s. And we are going to go back over 200 years in time to understand how they used to solve political differences back then. Well, one practice was a duel. Yes, two men loaded with pistols in hand would start back to back, walk a certain number of paces, snap around, and then fire. The goal was to shoot the other guy dead. The most famous example is Vice President Aaron Burr, who shot dead his longtime nemesis, Alexander Hamilton. But there's also this example. Future President Andrew Jackson, he got into a duel with a fella over a couple of things, politics, uh, the horse race, and some insults that were uh, directed at his wife. So these two guys had a duel, and Jackson shot the other guy dead. Although, the other guy, he got a bullet off and went into Jackson's chest, and it left him with pain that he endured for the rest of his life. So as our politicians were shooting each other all the way back then, we get eventually to the year 1812. Now, as my historians know, that was a terrible year for our young country. The British were back trying to retake our nation, and that certainly would qualify as a bad sign for democracy and our republic. And just to prove the point of how bad it was, the Brits marched on Washington, D.C. and torched about every government building that they could find. Uh, The Capitol, the Supreme Court, the White House, the Navy Yard, and several American warships. Well, eventually, we won that war against the British, the the Second Revolution, if you will. And we entered an era called Antebellum, which was before the Civil War. And here's what's important to know about that era as we think about the fight between Mr. Gates and Mr. McCarthy in the House of Representatives. And we'll start with something that you might not know. There are over 70 known examples of violence between congressmen during that time. Let's just talk about about three of them. First, in 1856, a pro-slavery representative named Preston Brooks, he beat the living snot out of an anti-slavery senator named Charles Sumner. Brooks beat this guy with a cane on the Senate floor so badly that poor Mr. Sumner was just unconscious. Well, two years later in 1858, there was a fist fight that broke out between 30 congressmen on the House floor at two o'clock in the morning. And it started when a Southerner grabbed a Northerner by the throat. And then it was on. Well, two years after that, in 1860, an anti-slavery congressman was delivering a a speech on the House floor, and a pro-slavery congressman walked up to him with a pistol put in his face and started throwing his cane around, too. Okay, so you get the point. That era was nasty and brutal and violent, and that was just in Congress. Next, of course, we all know the horrific history of the Civil War. Over 600,000 people died in that conflict, and our nation just left in absolute tatters. And it was at that point, after the war ended, that we entered the postbellum period. And that lasted from the end of the Civil War until about the year uh, 1900. And that era, which, by the way, includes Reconstruction and the Gilded Era, was, I think, by all reasonable measure, just a disaster for this country. 
In fact, here's how President Rutherford B. Hayes put it in his private diary in 1886. Quote, This is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people no longer. It is instead a government by the corporations, of the corporations, and for the corporations. End quote. And he was right. The railroad barons at the time were snatching up land from coast to coast, and as they were doing it, they were snatching up politicians along with it. Perhaps the most infamous example of corruption of that era was the scandal called Credit Mobilier, and it involved not one but two vice presidents, both of whom served under Ulysses S. Grant. And it was during that same era that we had the infamous Tammany Hall in New York City. That was a Democrat political organization that actually started all the way back in the 1700s, and it lasted through more or less the 1950s. And as my historians know, Tammany Hall and its politicians engaged in some of the most widespread corruption you could imagine, plus voter fraud. And I'll tell you, the number of bribes and kickbacks, just it is jaw-dropping, folks. Indeed, it was led by one of the Tammany Hall politicians that some of us might know. His name is Boss Tweed. He and his cronies stole somewhere between 45 to $200 million in city funds, which in today's money is billions of dollars. So, folks, in a very short period of time, we just covered about 150 years of American political history. Just a quick summary that involved duels and beatings and fistfights and corruption. And frankly, a scale that we cannot even imagine today. Billions of dollars and just a handful of politicians. So, in other words, ladies and gentlemen, this country has been owned by some of the most egregiously corrupt politicians and barons of the time. And that takes us back to the Washington Post. And their headline from yesterday, again, to remind ourselves, quote, the vote to oust McCarthy is a warning sign for democracy, scholars say, end quote. So comparing what we just covered, that 150 year period to this argument of today between Mr. Gates and Mr. McCarthy, I ask you all, is this moment and that Republican fight truly a warning sign for our democracy? And if so, how bad is it? in the sort of context of American history. Well, I'll let you answer those questions, but as you do, I want you to think about this. In that Washington Post article, they highlighted a, a number of scholars that, that, that made the case that our republic is in a deep crisis. And one of the scholars was that guy that I named earlier, Daniel Zeiblatt. And if we recall, he is that very fancy fellow at Harvard. However, in the article of the Washington Post that they put out, they left out one very important detail about this, Mr. Zeiblatt. In fact, I discovered it, and you can discover it too. Go to opensecrets.org. Go to their research tools and, and their donor lookup. You can type in any name and see who has given and to what party or what politician. And when you do this for Mr. Zeiblatt, you will discover that he is a donor to Joe Biden. Okay, well, that seems important and relevant, doesn't it? Because if the Washington Post is going to scare us all to death, that our democracy has fallen apart because of these darn Republicans on Capitol Hill, shouldn't we know that the assessment is being done by a Democrat scholar with a clear bias for Joe Biden trying to encourage people to think that indeed the country is in crisis because of the Republicans? It certainly seems relevant, if nothing else. So those are the facts and data this morning on whether or not our great republic has just fallen apart, as the Washington Post and Mr. Zyblatt would have us believe. Let me now offer you my analysis and opinion on this. 
So back on July 3rd, I briefed you all on the long history of fake news in this country. Since the 1700s, America's media has largely been dominated by political bosses and corporate interests who are just frankly trying to make money and secure power, whether that be political or personal or both. And if you missed that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and explore that at your leisure. But the point that I made then and will again make today is this. The vast majority of America's information ecosystem is just propaganda. It's designed to influence as well as inform. And we spoke about it in July. And ladies and gentlemen, that is just not going to change. And that's actually okay. We just need for newspapers and scholars to be honest about that, about their provable bias. And then we can make up our own minds as they tell us what to think. And that's why my mind is not especially alarmed by this feud between a couple of politicians, Mr. McCarthy and Mr. Gates. Right? Look, is it bad? Yeah, potentially. It could delay some very important legislation. In fact, I mentioned that yesterday. But it's not worthy of, of fear or frothy predictions that our republic is just collapsing. Indeed, a pretty quick review of history of this country tells us that we have seen a lot worse. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and enjoy the following messages remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about JaceMedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at JaceMedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, it, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com, enter promo code right, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code right at jasemedical.com. Folks, if you're looking to diversify your investments, I have something for you to consider. It's called Masterworks, and here's what they do. They purchase modern art by famous creators like Picasso, and then they qualify it with the SEC and sell shares of that art to investors like us. Now, eventually, they sell that piece of art. It's called an exit. And then investors like you and me, we get a portion of the sale. And their record, it's pretty darn impressive. Last month, they had exits with returns of 10 to 35%. Now, this concept is relatively new, but not to the 780,000 members who have joined and invested. Meanwhile, Masterworks has also been written up in Forbes and Financial Times. And I'll tell you, read those articles because I did, and I decided that for my long-term investments, Masterworks fits. Now, will that be the case for you? Well, here's how you decide. Go to masterworks.art.com 
slash write report and you will get priority access for a personal interview with the staff and they will help you decide if Masterworks fits for you. So again, go to masterworks.art slash write report. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And as you sign up for that interview, you can also read through their disclosures. Good stuff there at masterworks.art slash CD. So all in all, folks, I think that you will be impressed with Masterworks and what they offer to investors. So again, go to masterworks.art slash write report, because at the end of the day, I think you will be glad you did. Welcome back to the Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with more domestic news. I've got a breaking story out of Washington, D.C. Newsweek magazine is reporting that the Biden Department of Justice and FBI are specifically targeting the voters of Donald Trump. Here's the headline, quote, Donald Trump followers targeted by FBI as 2024 election nears, end quote. So this report broke as I was preparing for the news this morning. It's quite long, very extensive, and I'm still digesting it. But here's what I see so far with additional, more nuanced coverage of this to come. Let's start with this. As the report from Newsweek notes, just after the January 6th protests of 2021, the FBI co-authored a report where they changed the definition of who the Bureau would target for investigations. It was regarding something that they call agave, I believe that's a pronunciation, and that is short for anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremism. So the FBI changed that definition to shift the investigatory focus from ideology to, quote, political or social agendas, end quote. Well, the question is, which political or social agendas are likely to be investigated and why? Well, that's not wholly clear this morning based on this report from Newsweek, but we do know this. Last June, the FBI and Department of Homeland Security said that domestic violent extremists and domestic terrorists could have political or social agendas that involve things like the COVID-19 pandemic or allegations of fraud related to the 2020 general election. And as Newsweek notes, this new focus on these political and social agendas, that is, quote, a gigantic departure for the FBI, end quote. In other words, historically, domestic terrorism might be focused on white supremacy or black nationalism. But now it could include some sort of ill-defined shade of personal politics. And then there's this. The FBI has created a new subcategory of these agave crimes called agave other And that other, at least according to Newsweek, was created for MAGA Republicans or those who embrace former President Donald Trump. Now, to be clear, the other designation is allegedly for those Trump followers who espouse what the FBI believes to be violent rhetoric or engaging in acts of violence. But it seems a bit vague and alarming, at least based on the the, uh, Newsweek report. And, And here's some numbers to justify that alarm. In the year 2021, the number of full FBI investigations into domestic terror that led to arrests, well, that number was 1,446. Of that number, 80% were supporters of Trump or MAGA. Finally, Newsweek reported that the FBI's use of another type of investigation has absolutely exploded over the past couple of years. These investigations are called assessments. And it's where a special agent or intel analyst suspects some sort of wrongdoing because the person of interest is associated with someone or something that they determine to be bad. And the FBI opens this assessment and looks further into someone's background. Well, it appears that these assessments, at least when it comes to domestic terrorists, 
are also overwhelmingly targeting Trump supporters. Now, for what it's worth, and to be fair, the FBI is utterly dismissing this Newsweek report and all the concerns related to it. For instance, they say that the the change of definitions to to political and social agendas or this new category of agave, you know, agave other, right? All of that is simply a change in, let's say, record keeping, they said. Plus, they emphasized they do not target peaceful MAGA or Trump supporters because those folks have constitutional protections. Yes, free speech. Indeed, the FBI insisted that, quote, we cannot and we do not investigate ideology, end quote. Although one bureau official told Newsweek that, quote, obviously, if Democrat Party supporters resort to violence, agave other would apply to them as well. But in practical terms, agave other refers to MAGA, though the carefully constructed language is wholly nonpartisan, end quote. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's keep watching this story from Newsweek and, frankly, its implications. It's important, and I think we are going to be hearing more about this over the coming weeks and months. And it will be quite interesting as we do, given a a statement yesterday by Mr. Biden responding to this uh, House Speaker drama on Capitol Hill. He said that, quote, more than anything, we need to change the poisonous atmosphere in Washington. We have strong disagreements, but we need to stop seeing each other as enemies, end quote. And that's great. But in September of 2022, Mr. Biden tweeted out that, quote, Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans are a threat to the very soul of this country, end quote. Well, putting aside the obvious hypocrisy there, we've got some questions To answer, ladies and gentlemen, as we move forward on this story, first, how precisely does Mr. Biden and his FBI define MAGA, criminally speaking? And what's a MAGA extremist? Again, criminally speaking, because as listeners know from my brief last Friday, Mr. Biden defines it as, well, having three characteristics. And as I shared with you, unfortunately for Mr. Biden and his fellow Democrats, they too possess all three of those characteristics. Meanwhile, we've got some specific questions, I think, for the FBI this morning. Why precisely did they change the definition of these agave cases to include political or social agendas? And which agendas are worthy of an investigation or an assessment and why? Finally, let's ask who's overseeing whether there is any abuse when these investigations or assessments get opened? Because that is very important. All because we have some very clear recent precedent that yes, the FBI targets people not just because of some reasonable concern, but because the FBI agents involved just don't like someone's politics. As listeners will recall, Special Counsel John Durham proved this in his report back in May. He found that the FBI and Department of Justice opened up that crossfire hurricane investigation into Donald Trump and his campaign without predicate. In other words, no justification. And then as they investigated the former president, they, quote, failed to uphold strict fidelity to the law, end quote. In other words, the FBI and the DOJ engaged in lawlessness as they targeted their political opponents. And that's what gives me great pause this morning as I read through that data from Newsweek. So that's what I'm going to be keeping in mind as I continue to explore this breaking news. It's going to continue to develop, no doubt, in the many days to come. And if I, if I may offer this, I think it's worth your time to read, folks, to read that to Newsweek report. You can make up your own minds about how problematic or alarming this is. 
the link uh, for the report, as ever, is in the transcripts. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. Some good news, actually. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Actually, two things. First, I will share with you all tomorrow the final call about The Right Report going behind the paywall. I am still digesting all of your incredible notes. Well over a couple thousand and mostly full of support, good cheer, wise counsel, it's just overwhelmingly great, and I am so, so appreciative of all of you, so thank you. Second, let's talk about some good news. Before I share this good news, just one caveat. This news addresses the, the very controversial issue of transgender Americans, but that is actually secondary to what I view to be the good news. And here's the good part. It's news about how you, wherever you are, can get organized to, to do something about what you might view to be a problem, either in your town or county or state. It's ultimately a story about taking charge of your country and your future. So whatever your views of the trans issue might be, just gently put those aside as we explore this inspiring message of what happens when you get involved in your hometown. So here we go. Last week, the NPR affiliate in San Francisco, KQED, published a report on how California Democrats have been shocked by the conservatives in that state who are organizing to, to push back against transgender rights. And that's because local religious leaders and conservative groups have focused on putting conservative majorities on local school boards with local moms and dads. In Chino, California, for example, that meant that they passed a ban on the pride flag. Plus, this same council passed a policy that required teachers and school staff to tell parents if their child ever requests to be identified or treated as a, a gender other than the one that is listed on their birth certificate. Now, I should note that the, the folks at NPR felt that these conservatives and what they were doing are just absolutely bad. Outrageous, actually. And they put that outrage to the current state superintendent, asking him whether Democrats were caught off guard by these conservatives in that very heavily leftist state. And the superintendent, who's a fellow named Tony Thurman, he said, quote, I think the short answer is yes, end quote. He then went on to blast the parents in particular who have run for these local school boards, said that they were bigoted, discriminatory. He added that the left needs to get better organized at taking on these local parents and pastors and other conservative organizations. To the point, one of his uh, Democrat colleagues, an assembly member named Alex Lee, he said that, quote, I really hope that folks will take that to heart and really get involved in local school districts. Local control does matter. So it really matters who actually runs for school board, who's involved in that process, end quote. So there you have it. Putting aside the trans issue, I want to remind us of something, a lesson that we're getting this morning from California. And here it is. In a world full of problems and challenges, you can still make a difference, a big difference. There is power to be found when you control your local community, if you get involved. And that could be running for a local school board, county commissioner, the city council, or whatever. And if running for office isn't your cup of tea, you can fundraise. You can knock on doors for someone who is running for local office. And here's the best part. Stepping back, if we do this in California, and then others do this local work in Wisconsin, 
Florida, Massachusetts, Oklahoma, and, and all the states where I have listeners, you can change the nation. Because collectively, your local actions, when you add those up with everybody else doing their part in their hometowns, you change the future. The country changes. That, I think, is very good news. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.